2: You, how excited I am about having you on this show.
3: Why don't you be excited for me?
2: Oh my goodness! This is old rhino. Oh! Hey. Hello, and welcome to Top Even. Today is March 21st, 2021. Uh, there's a season and episode here somewhere 512. All right, we're on the 12th episode of season five, it is spring. Finally, I was so happy when I realized that yesterday. Um, And with me today is someone who I have been basically just stalking, trying to get on the show for the last six months. And he finally did a face reveal, which means we can have him on it is vice Rhino. Hello. Hi,
3: how's it going? It is. I'm excited to be here.
2: Going good. Oh my gosh, I am so excited, guys. Okay, theists, listen up. Okay, Uh, I know you like to call in here, especially creationists, especially people who want to talk about you know evolution and fossils and geology and biology and all that good stuff. And I have told you multiple times, I'm not an expert. Right? We have somebody who is. Well, I would call him an expert. I don't know if I would agree with that. Assessment.
3: Lame an expert. La- <laughs> a lame lame an
2: expert. Exactly. Someone who lame <laughs>
3: lame an expert. Lame expert. I'm a lame expert. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll run with that. That's awesome. So if you have questions, especially around things like creationism or the flood or anything in that Genesis area, uh, definitely call in today because this is Vice's specialty. Weist, uh, tell us a little bit about you. What's your, uh, what's your show? Uh, why are you here?
3: Yeah, so I run a show called Vice Rhino on the YouTube channel of the same name. Um, I mostly deal with creationists. I also do, I do like arguments for God occasionally, or I'll talk about like uh, morality, like secular morality, things like that. But it it does primarily focus on creationism um, Vice Rhino is itself an anagram for Eric Hovind because I'm just <laughs> bad at coming up with usernames. So when I was creating my channel, I was like, "Well, wouldn't it be? It wouldn't it be funny if I had like an anagram for a creationist name?" And Eric's was the first one I popped in, and Vice Rhino came out, and I liked it. So
2: there you go. Yeah, awesome. So if if you've watched Talky then for any length of time, you will know that one of the people that I send everybody to is Vice Drino. So the fact that you are here uh, on the show ready to have these conversations with me is super exciting. Um, I do want to get into something that's a little less exciting just because These are our friends. Uh, Something's going on right now. And I know we're both kind of fired up about it. And I would feel bad if we just started the show without acknowledging this first. Uh, So a couple of days ago, our friend Owen, um, y'all might know him as Telltale Atheist, the channel. Uh, His daughter uh, legally recorded her um, health instructor at her public school. Talking about God and how LGBTQ people are, you know, bad and you can't be moral without God and, you know, sex is a sin and all of this really religious rhetoric. uh, And also fully acknowledging the fact that she was breaking the law and that she was Mm -hmm. trying to get away with it. Um, Owen put that out. Um, He got FFRF involved. FFRF got on that shit right away, which was awesome. But they are now currently targets at in their hometown they are currently in basically hiding trying to survive the number of christians who are out for blood essentially there was a protest at kylie's bus stop um they uh, this is they, this is
3: adults it's important these are to recognize these are adults that are harassing a 12 year old girl yeah. a child who stood up for her constitutional rights and now adults are getting in here and being like, "Oh, we we need to go protest at her bus stop." And, they, uh, they
2: released her phone number, um, so yeah, they had they to doxed her. That number. They doxed Owen, so this is this is really really bad. And yeah, we would be remiss if we did not bring this up as the atheist community of Austin, whose main goal, our main function, is promoting positive atheism, but also that separation of church and state. And this is what that is, right? If this was a private school, it would be a different conversation, but this is a public school with a teacher who knew that she was breaking the law, and people are getting mad at the fact that a 12-year-old girl exposed this criminal activity, essentially. So, I I just want to raise that if you guys want to go over to Telltale's uh, Patreon, uh, maybe donate, um, maybe, you know, reach out, just let them know that they're not alone. Uh, This is a scary time for them and for all of us. We don't always talk about the danger of what we do but there is a certain level of uh risk that we all as relatively public figures uh in the atheist community just kind of take on as a result of being outspoken and standing up for our rights so uh kind of this is what we do this is what the aca does this is what vice does on his channel this is what telltale does and we all need to look out for each other and make sure that we are being supportive where we can
3: Absolutely. And uh, if if I could just add, um, th- one of the main accusations that's coming against Telltale right now is that he's using his daughter for clout. He's clout chasing and using his daughter to that end. He debated... Like and deliberated for days about whether or not to make this public, whether or not to get people to make a stink about it. He went to lawyers first. They went to the FFRF first. They went through the proper channels, and using this for clout was like the last thing on his mind. If anything, he was thinking more of using using this situation to bring awareness to it, to make sure that the kids in his town are having their constitutional rights respected. So it, it's just it's it's just a horrible situation all around. I, My blood is boiling. It's hard to not scream.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of anger, just indignation um, among his friends. And I hope that you guys, you know, feel galvanized to do something about this, even if it's just, you know, donating a couple of bucks, because I know that they're in the process of moving and there's a whole lot going on there. So they can really use the help if you, if you want to do that today. Um, If you also want to donate to the ACA, and this is the part where, I give you the spiel. Uh, the Atheist Community of Austin is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that we run on donations alone. Um, so if you are interested in helping us continue to fight for the separation of church and state and the promotion of positive atheism, you can donate either through YouTube um, or you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash me. Uh, two-thirds of the way through the episode, we will be naming our top five Donors. So, if you want to donate, we refresh every time to make sure that we're up to date there. Uh, And then after the show, we are going to be well. Vice, unfortunately, we're not able to join us on Discord, but I will be there um, to kind of wrap things up as we get ready for the nonprofits at three. All right. If you guys want to call in, I do want to make sure you have this number because really there is no excuse to not talk to Vice about creationism. That is 512-991-9242. Or if you are outside the U.S. or just don't feel like picking up a phone, uh, you can visit tiny.cc slash callth and that'll put you in touch with our call screeners. All right. Um, I'm ready to jump into some calls. How are you feeling, Vice?
3: I'm good. I I see one on line two. All
2: right. You want to take line two?
3: I think so. Yeah.
4: All
2: right. Let's talk to Jason in Pennsylvania. Jason, welcome to the show. How can we help you today?
4: Well, uh, on my last vacation, I went down to uh, that park that they have in Kentucky and uh, listened to what they had to say. Um, <clears throat> and they have this song uh, where they uh, they sing about um, little bitty fossils scattered all over the surface of the earth. And they use I think I know the song. An explanation. You know the song. Okay. Great, and um, yeah, so I was just my argument against that is that um, when the continents moved, they went underwater for a while, and that's how the fossils got on there and I was just wondering if that's the best argument that I have against something like that um, that's
3: that's a Bit of a misunderstanding of how it works. So the the way a fossil is formed is uh, an animal has to like die and then shortly after death be buried in under mud or sediment or something um, that will prevent its bones from decaying. So th- there it can sit it can sit exposed for a little bit, but um, eventually the like even the bones will decay and disappear. But if it's buried, then that stops the predators from picking it apart and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's not that uh it's there doesn't have to be a lot of water it doesn't have to be a global flood every time there's a group of animals fossilized together uh it can just be like like it can be a normal like mudslide that there's barely any water available it's just mud um now the way right, the uh, way f- I'm sorry right. sorry I
4: think they what I think the claim is that, that is that the fossils from the ocean that are in my like
5: Colorado.
3: Yeah, so like I was that. I was just about to get to that. So the fossils from the ocean are on the mountaintops.
5: Yes.
3: Yeah. So uh, so that claim. Yes. The, the answer to that one is tectonic activity. So it's um, the animals die on the seafloor, and then um, there's there's actually some really good animations about this from specifically with the Indian continental plate hitting Asia. Is as it hits it, um, the Indian continental plate just kind of gets subducted underneath the Asian one and the, it, it, or I might have it backwards, but the other one gets pushed up. And so what was on the seafloor gets pushed up to the top of the mountains as the the plates are subducted like that. And it's almost like um, it's almost like picture a dirty dish being scraped off and it just kind of piles up on the end. Like that's the seafloor sediment is making the mountain like that. Um, and, oh, where was I going? But um, yeah, so that's, 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 that's basically the response to the... Uh, sea creatures on the mountaintops, but then uh, the creationists, their view is very, very simplistic in that they'll say uh, like, oh, because there was a flood, global flood, mountains were covered, therefore sea creatures on a mountaintop. But the mechanics of how a flood work uh, that's that just doesn't work that way like uh, when a flood comes in the sediment washes things from the high areas to the low areas so it'll fill in the bottom so if there were sea creatures living around they wouldn't be living in the sea and then get swished like uh, swept up to the mountaintop in a flood it would be the other way around anything like whatever was on top of the mountain would get swept down into the bottom of the sea floors so there wouldn't be any fossilized sea creatures on mountaintops if there were a worldwide flood
4: but the water was on the, on the earth for like a year or something. Couldn't the creatures have like swum up to the top of the mountain or something like that?
3: Not with the creationist model because they, they, it's so catastrophic. It, like, um, there, there are areas where there are literally tens of thousands of laminations, which are like layers within the layers of the, ge- of the uh, stratigraphic columns. Uh, so there's literally tens of thousands of layers. There have to be multiple layers laid down and then turned into rock or lithified every day. So, like, with how turbulent and tumultuous this is, there's like, there's no way that they could just move up to the mountaintop and settle in and have a nice little life and then get buried again.
4: Okay, my, my, uh, yeah, I'm, why not? I, I don't understand why they. I still don't understand why they can't just swim up to the mountaintop and and be there, and then the water goes down and they're stuck on top of a mountain and they.
3: Well, and, it's and it's been known know. it's been known since the 1600s that a lot of the animals that are buried on the on, like a lot of these marine creatures on the mountaintops are buried in positions that indicate that they were just going about life as normal. So that wouldn't be like that to me. That says like you, that you don't go about life as normal during a year long worldwide flood. That just like especially not with how catastrophic, it has to be like there, there's no calm water for them to be climbing up and, and just settling down and having a normal life. Uh, it's, it's just way too catastrophic for that.
2: Right. I think I think one of the misconceptions is just like, oh, it was like filling up a swimming pool and then it was all just still for a whole year. I don't think that's advice, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that that's accurate uh, if we're describing the kind of flooding that would have been required no. to cover mountains.
3: Creation, creationists are actually on board with this. Like there, There's a paper that I reference frequently by uh, Dr. John Baumgartner, who is a creationist, and he actually went and calculated how much thermal energy would, be, would have been released during the flood. And essentially, um, with all the energy that would have been released, the earth today would still be a molten ball not capable of supporting life. So his conclusion in that paper is we just have to get used to appealing to God changing the laws of physics and that's it. So even by creationist calculations, Um, it's not possible.
4: Okay. You got me on the last, that's the first time I've heard of anything like a lot of energy being released. I've heard of, you know, their explanation of the flood was a bunch of water comes up from the earth. And of course that would be turbulent at the the rate at which they say that it came up. Um, But even after that, I was thinking, well, okay, it's turbulent in the beginning, but then you have apparently a whole year uh, where it's not going to be turbulent. But you you
3: don't you don't really have that year, though, because um, the the thing is, most creationists accept the idea of Pangaea, that all the continents were in one spot in the past. And uh, they usually will say that Pangaea broke up into the continents that we have today during the flood, during the year that it was underwater. And that that's where the energy comes from, because the amount of energy required to move the continents that distance is just, it's entirely catastrophic. It, like Noah wouldn't have been able to survive in his little wooden boat. It would have been vaporized. The oceans would have been vaporized. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's not possible.
4: Right. Okay. Uh, now, who's the person that said that?
3: Uh, that was Dr. John Baumgartner. If you give me a second, I can, get, um, I can tell well, you what the name of the paper you? was.
2: Yeah, what we can do to keep this moving along is, Vice, if you want to uh, Google that, we'll make sure to put that in the description of the episode, uh, and that way, anybody who watches the call can also just go down and click into that that document. So we can make sure everybody gets that info. Um, thank you so much for calling in, though, Jason. Did that answer your question or give you some more to think about?
4: Uh, yeah. Um, can I just say I'm not exactly sure why <laughs> some why an animal couldn't still climb or swim to the top of a mountain and then when the waters recede, uh, be fossilized
3: because it was way too catastrophic for them to be able to. So like there, there was no year of calm water, and you'd be hard pressed to find a creationist that would suggest that there was a year of calm water. I I do uh, have the paper up if you want me the... to say the name.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. yeah so
3: it was uh, published in the Creation Research Society Quarterly, Volume Twenty Seven, December nineteen ninety. Um, the paper itself is. Oh, sorry. I got the whole volume up here. Uh, I'll, I'll, that's that's the volume. It's in. It's Dr. John Baumgartner, and we'll get we'll get the link put in the description. It is, um, I believe, it is open access.
2: Perfect, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Jason. And if you come across other questions or you read through the paper and you have more answers, definitely go to maybe Vice Rhino's <laughs> website as opposed to talk even because I would love to talk with you more, but I'm pretty sure you'll get better answers out of him. <laughs>
4: Okay.
2: Thanks you guys. Have a good day. You too. Bye. And that's one thing that I wanna make sure that like as an as an atheist and a skeptic online, I don't know anything by any stretch of the imagination, right? And and the ability to say, hey I am not the best person to talk about this subject with, here's somebody who can answer that question a little bit better, or has that experience or, or or that passion that led them to research this, is something that we all need to normalize, right? The idea of, oh, I'm not the best person to talk about this, here's somebody with more information. Uh, and for me, that certainly is uh, anything around the concepts of biology or geology all right let's talk with chelsea in north carolina chelsea welcome to the show how can we help you today
6: hey um first off
2: how are y'all doing good doing good excellent and safe
6: all right good to hear all right let's get back let's get to what the show's about or what i'm calling about Absolutely. um, sh- um help me out here just I've lost my train of thought already. Um, Can you read what the thing is? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So you said uh, you're calling in to talk about how to handle Christian family members who believe that, quote unquote, blood is thicker than water.
6: Yeah, family. Family, Mm -hmm. like blood family is um, better than um, friend family, you know. Mm. It's not, you know, in blood.
2: Yeah, well, I can tell you right now that's bullshit.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I already knew that's bullshit. I'm just trying to, like. Convince them that because I have a family member because I'm trans, he's so veh- vehemently against um, me being trans, and mm-hmm. he just it's my brother. Um, but anyway, I've already cut him off, but I'm trying to convince um, my um, other family members that it's okay that to do that because he's so toxic. Yeah. So how do I do that?
2: Yeah, that's a tricky, tricky uh, conversation to have for sure. I think. The, the toxicity extends beyond that individual, unfortunately, a lot of the time. So if they know that your brother is being toxic and being aggressive and being somebody who is not building you up and making your life better and they still want to put you in touch with him, they are also perpetuating that toxicity and the last thing you need to worry about when you are trying to build a safer space for yourself in a better life is getting the permission of toxic people to cut them out of your life. So I'm certainly not saying that you should go and just say everybody is out and I'm done with all of you. But Saying, hey,
6: everybody else is fine with me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but if they're if they're still pressuring you, even if they know that your brother is being aggressive and, and horrible towards you, they are picking sides and it's not your side. So I think being clear with them and saying, Hey, here's the deal. This is my decision, and I need you to respect that I know what I'm doing and that this is best for me. You don't have to agree with it, but you ca- you cannot try and bend me to your will here. And if you do, if you keep bringing this up, then I am going to withdraw from you, right? Your presence is something that you have complete ownership over here. You can either engage with them or not. And if they care about you, and it sounds like they do, uh, they will respect your desires because they want to see you and they want you in their life. So my suggestion would be to make sure that they understand that they are crossing a line here. It's not just, oh, they brought it up again, I'll ignore it. It's, you are doing something that I've explicitly asked you not to do, and that is impacting our relationship in the future. Okay. What about
6: you, Vice Fierna? Um
3: I don't have right, a ahead. lot of personal experience with this. I know my, my brother and my mother are not on speaking terms with each other, but um, uh, as far as I could, like I've never really pushed either of them into trying to communicate again, and like I, I would just kind of echo what uh, V was saying is that it, it's not uh, it's not your responsibility to make them comfortable with your relationship with other members of the family. Like that's if if they're not comfortable with how you are relating to people that aren't them, that's their problem, not yours. So uh,
2: yeah, I don't I don't, I don't think be, I
3: could give yeah. any better advice than V already did.
2: It this can be something. Yeah, I thought that, but
3: I
6: just go ahead.
2: Yeah, this can be applicable to any situation, right? With you specifically, it is, you know, your brother is being aggressive towards you because you are trans, which is unacceptable. But a lot of atheists have to deal with this as well, regardless of their, you know, sexuality yeah. or their gender identity. So this is a good conversation just to have in general, hey, you, you are responsible for your boundaries, And you cannot decide who violates them or who respects them that is outside of your control, but you can determine whether or not you have those boundaries in the first place. And I would say that a good place to start here, Chelsea, would be to set up that boundary. It doesn't need to be a big confrontation, but it should be something that is explicitly said, and then see who respects it and who doesn't. And that'll give you some good information moving forward about who you want in your life.
6: Okay. Because family gatherings are a thing in my family
2: mm-hmm.
6: um so that's the thing too and that, that's usually the only time i get to see some of my family that is i'm okay with mm-hmm. thats don't that i'm on good terms with so that's another thing i'm kind of worried about so i don't know yeah, well, uh, yeah. okay it, kind of a it's a sticky it's, situation it's, for me this
3: Absolutely. is where i do have a bit of experience because i i have hosted family gatherings that include both my brother and my mother and uh, it is it can be a little awkward at times but i think for um as long as you make sure everybody understands that like it's it's your choice who you talk to at these gatherings you don't need like you you shouldn't have to be forced into talking to someone that you are not comfortable talking to and um, that like you, you should be, you should still be able to have family gatherings where you know you, you might not get along with someone that's at the gathering but that shouldn't stop you from having a relationship with other people that are also there and like the two of you not getting along doesn't have to impact how other people get along or don't get along with you or the other person it's it's a difficult dynamic and it can be awkward at times yes but it is doable
6: okay um i think that's it and i appreciate y'all guys time um i hope that word was okay um with y'all um
2: absolutely thank you for calling in and uh something to keep in mind if you do have continual questions if some other stuff comes up if you if you maybe set that boundary and then want some help navigating what happens next a great place to call in would be secular sexuality on thursdays at 7 p.m because we talk very specifically around issues of family and and relationship dynamics as it relates to things like gender and sexuality and romance and relationships so definitely something else you would want to check out if you want to call in again we would love to have you on that show
6: Okay, I'll call that if um, things pop up. My awesome. your time.
2: Absolutely, thank you so all much right, for calling, in. No Chelsea.
6: Yeah,
2: that's rough. I feel like there's no one who has left a family in the faith <laughs> and doesn't empathize with that situation, right? Like everyone yeah, has that one person. All right, all right. Um, let's talk with Marcus in Illinois. Marcus is calling about free will. So we'll see how good we can, how good we can answer this question. (laughs) Marcus, welcome to the show.
3: We'll answer the question the same way, no matter what. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Have no choice in the matter.
7: (laughs) Uh, Hi. Am I on?
2: Yes, you You are. are. Welcome to the show.
7: uh, I'm a little nervous.
2: (laughs) No worries. It's
7: All right. We don't bite. We're chill. Okay. So uh, I, I'm, I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist for,
2: uh,
7: for six years now. And, um, I just, First, I just want to say that thank you for doing the show because it, it works, because it worked for me. Atheist experience and talk you then both pretty much made an atheist out of me, so thanks.
2: Oh, that's awesome um, to hear. Same here, by the way. So, Twinsies, what can we help you with today?
7: Right, so uh, a couple episodes ago, I, I believe the hosts were V and Eric, and uh, you guys were talking to someone about free will. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of you said that you didn't believe in it, and then uh, that got me thinking. So I started to look into, like, free will versus determinism and that stuff. And I have to say, I am completely confused. I have no idea what people are talking about. <laughs> it is
2: <laughs> yep, that's, that's to completely
7: understandable. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost.
2: <laughs> well, but let me clarify also, something.
7: I, I've, um...
2: Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Let me clarify Uh something real quick before we jump in. Um, I do want to make sure that we start from the same place here. I think I remember the call that you're talking about where Eric and I were talking about free will specifically. And the reason we had such a problem with that call was because the caller was using free will and the existence of it to prove his other claims about God and about the universe and our our issue is not so much that, oh, we absolutely know that free will doesn't exist and here's why. It's more along the lines of, oh, well, free will is kind of, we're, we're all kind of confused by it still, right? We don't really have a solid grasp on whether or not we do have free will or what kind of free will or how that works in the brain. So using that shaky foundation mm-hmm. as a beginning point for a larger conversation about God is a problem because you haven't really verified the free will part yet. So it's not necessarily, and I don't want to speak for Eric, but for me, it's not necessarily that I dis—I I don't believe it exists. It's more like, I really have no clue. I'm kind of where you're at, Marcus, with this whole, like, I don't really understand a lot of it. And a lot of people don't. So using that as the basis of an argument can get you off on the wrong foot. Um, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page there.
7: Okay. So... So, I, I guess where I'm at now, I'm I'm in the middle of the road. Um, just when whenever people talk about determinism and how everything is caused, and then all of our decisions are just the effect of the cause, I still wonder because I, I can make choices that are against my well-being, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the thing that makes me F, a free agent in that in that discussion like i could make decisions based on what's happening around me which Mm -hmm. would make them determined but i still have the choice so i am lost on on that part free
3: free will and choice are not mutually exclusive uh like i don't think anyone would argue that my computer has a free will but it makes thousands of choices every second uh like it has to determine whether it does like is if is input X active? If so, then do Y. If not, then do uh, Z. Um, so, it, like, That's choice and free will are them. not uh, mutually exclusive from each other. Um, and I, I just want to say I, I, I'm kind of in the same spot as V with regards to the existence of free will. Um, I don't know. Um, my understanding is that it looks like everything might be deterministic, but then also if you consider... Uh, quantum fluctuations and how they can actually they are potentially truly random that might have enough of an impact to actually make free will a thing but i'm i i i'm not going to pretend that i have any in-depth understanding on the subject myself
7: okay thanks i just i didn't want to make any like arguments from personal incredulity and say well i have no idea how else i would be making choices therefore i have free will
2: Mm -hmm. uh no, and that's a good get, instinct oh, oh, because I yeah, think I a it. lot of people make make that decision based on either incredulity or just an appeal to emotion, right? It makes me feel uncomfortable to think that I might yeah. not have free will, therefore I must have it, right?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't think anyone would disagree that we appear to have free will. There there definitely is the appearance of free will, and so for some people they take that and say, "Well, I can't consider how my choices that I appear to be making freely could possibly be anything else." And they extend that out there, but like it, it might, it could just be an illusion. And the also, real answer is we don't know. Also,
2: one, one interesting thing that I came across is um, the com- this conversation was being had around free will and someone made a point very similar to yours, Marcus, which is, well, I can, I can choose to do something in a certain situation, right? And that means that I have free will. And the response was, well, how did you decide to make that choice? Did you have a choice about whether or not you wanted to do X or Y? And most of the time, that's a no, right? Usually, I don't necessarily choose to want to do a thing. I want to do a thing, and then I can choose whether or not I follow through with that. But, you know, we can kind of go backwards and be like, okay, well, you made the choice to do the thing, but did you make the choice to want to do the thing? So there are a lot of really fun ways to juggle with this and sit with it and mull on it. And honestly, like, that's my favorite kind of conversation to have over a drink. So, like, if you're ever in Austin, hit us up. I'm sure we'd be happy to have that conversation. But yeah, in general, I just think it's best to avoid making broader claims about the universe, about God, any ontological statement based on the existence of free will, just because anybody really who is either, you know, not a professional at this or you know, intellectually dishonest, is going to fall somewhere in the same place that you, me, and Vice all do, which is, okay, we really don't know very, very much about this yet. There are still too many options here, so there's no one definitive answer.
7: Okay, cool. That that gives me some things to think about, and I'll watch the video over again, but um, I called because uh, a friend of mine who is, uh, he's a Christian, and we were talking about this, and when I brought up the idea that uh, we may not have Free will, as we usually think about it, I think his exact words were, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." Um, so, uh,
2: well, as a Christian, you know it's it's hard to top a lot of <laughs> it's hard to top a lot of what they. The Bible hear.
3: doesn't even say that we have free will. That's just the default answer to the problem of evil. Is like, oh, it's got to be free will. It's like, no, that doesn't answer the problem because that that means that free will and evil have to code. Like if you have free will, you have to also have evil, which then means you lose your free will when you go to heaven. Do you, is heaven really heaven if you don't have free will?
7: Yeah, I brought it up to him and he was talking about how the arguments within Christian circles about uh, free will and predestination. And uh, I brought up the, like, if God knows everything that we will do, then we don't have free will in the first place. But yeah, uh, That's kind of my go-to yeah, answer
2: just, whenever someone tells me that I was never a true Christian. Because really, if you think about it, if I was a Christian at, at the time, but fell away in some future time, and I was never a true Christian, that means that my falling away was predetermined and outside of my control. Therefore, I do not have free will. So anytime anyone says, oh, well, you were never a Christian, they are essentially telling you that they believe on some level. Uh, the idea of predestination, or that yep. they haven't my, thought through it at all.
3: My my go-to for that one is that um, the Bible, like it, it can be interpreted differently. But most Christians choose to interpret there's certain verses as saying the Bible directly says that God is involved in making children in their mother's wombs. And um, so God chooses which people to make and which people to not make. He has an infinite selection of potential people that he could make. He knows all of the choices that all of these potential people will ever make. So he could just choose to only make the ones that are going to end up in heaven, but he doesn't. So even if our individual choices are technically free somehow, the fact that he chooses to make the people that he knows will make these choices kind of removes that freedom and puts all the responsibility back on him. Right. Okay. Yeah.
7: Okay. So, th- thank you guys for taking my call. Um, I, the reason I called in was it all kicked off with hearing the Oedipus story, but I prophecies <laughs> don't exist. So, um, yeah. Well, if you but have more fun conversations
2: with your Christian friend, feel free to call in again. We'd love to talk to you.
7: <laughs> sure. Okay.
2: All right. Thanks, thanks for, for calling, calling. In, Marcus. Oh my goodness, you guys, we need callers like. Come on. This is your chance. This is your chance to run by whether you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're a pagan, you're a Wiccan, you're a Christian, like whatever. If you have questions about evolution, like now, like if you call in next week with these questions, I'm going to shame you live on camera. (laughs) 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 All right. Let's talk to Cameron in Minnesota. Cameron, welcome to the show. How can we help you today?
8: Okay. So... I was at I, I work night shift at a plastics company and there's a guy who we've been working with past like month or two. He's new and he speaks like four or five different languages. He lived all over, you know, for lack of a better term, all over creation <laughs> in different countries and whatnot. And somehow we got onto the conversation about God and whatnot. And all of a sudden there was that moment that hit when he was like, "Wait." You you don't believe in God, and I was like, well, no, I, I I haven't been given sufficient evidence. And then he started talking about the Quran and how much science was in the Quran and how about like six billion people believe it, it can't be false, you know, the argument ad populum. I think that is or whatever. <laughs> and 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 but I I didn't know enough about how to defend, with it being the Quran. Like if it was the Bible, I could have you know held my own all day. But being as he was coming from the perspective of the Quran and all this so-called science that was in it, I didn't know how to uh, defend. You kind of get my gist.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I I feel you. I think that there's there's a certain amount of uh, extra caution that I take when I'm engaging with religions that are not the one I grew up in because – I can't speak to beyond my experience, and and I have expertise in one particular religion, right? The others, not so much. But I have found through doing the show and having conversations online that a lot of the religions have the same problems. And there will be difference in what exactly they're referencing. But things like, well, six billion people believe in it, so why isn't it true? Like, that is always going to be an argumentum ad populum, right? Like, regardless of the book they're referencing, there's still a logical fallacy Mm -hmm. there, an informal uh, fallacy. So, uh, I think one way to approach this is certainly to brush up on informal fallacies um, and make sure that you you understand how people construct arguments if this is something you want to do in the future. Right. Um, so that will actually help you pinpoint a lot of these problems before it even gets too specific regarding the, the actual book or denomination or religion. As far what, as. What if,
8: like, what, if, what if he doesn't like what if he doesn't like. So I try to explaining to him what a logical fallacy was and I gave him some examples like like a straw man or, or argument ad populum for example or um uh uh argument incredul- uh, in- argument from incredulity and it wasn't that he didn't want to understand it 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 was that he he just kind of didn't like I listened to you guys all night at work and then he showed me his phone and he listens to like these imams talking all night at work and both in our headphones or whatever. <laughs> and like, I just, I I, I didn't r- really, like he understood the concept of fallacies, but like he didn't at the same time. And I, I know there is no one silver bullet argument. I know that's not a thing. I'm just... Well, if.
3: If I may, um, I was. say if he's bringing up science yeah, yeah. in the Quran, um,
8: I might counter yeah, yeah, by bringing up of some of things. the, sorry? No, that was one of his big things is he kept bringing up science. Yeah. And, and my first thing was to say, you know, he said there was no contradictions. Well, I know about the contradictions of the Bible, but I don't know about contradictions about science and creation in the Quran. Well.
3: The thing about the Quran is it's actually it's actually got a doctrine behind it where um, if there is a contradiction, the verse that comes later is the one that supersedes the first one. So it's there it it's easier for uh, for a Muslim to wiggle out of contradictions than it is for a Christian because they're not claiming that there are no contradictions. It'll just be the later verse is the one that takes precedence. Um, as far as science in the Quran goes, yeah, I, I would then been. I would then maybe be tempted to bring up the uh, the alleged science in the Vedas. So, like, for instance, the Rig Veda says the sun has tied the Earth and other planets through attraction and moves them around itself as if a trainer moves newly trained horses around itself, holding their reins. That's a pretty damn good description of gravity for something that was written before the the Old Testament of the Bible was written. Like this, this is the oldest religious text that we have still in existence today that's still used as a religious text and the vedas are the like, hindu ones yeah, right? they're hin- hindu so that that one is specifically Rig Vedas, but okay, like you okay. can just do a search for science in the vedas and there's a website that comes right up that's got a whole list of supposed scientific verses and uh, like i okay. don't like most most muslims and christians will not want to admit that there is science in the Vedas. So they will engage in all sorts of uh, like motivated reasoning to explain why the science in these Vedas is not actually science. And it's like some of that's a lot closer to actual science than any of the stuff found in the Bible or the Quran. And it's right, still, right. it's, it's one, still most one, of the book
8: is, is still like quite wrong. And the other one's more of an interpretation.
3: Yeah. I mean, like most most of the Vedas science is entirely wrong. And like they've, they've got um, I forget the details, but there's like seven C's and there's like one is milk and one is wine and one is butter and stuff like that. So like there, there is all sorts of nonsense in there as well. But you, you can make the science in the Vedas sound a lot more scientific than a lot of the things that are in the Quran and
8: the Bible. But the whole argument is just to be like, so if, you know, there's all this science, how did this one before yours have the same amount of science, right? So then in the end, it becomes- It's a bit of a whataboutism,
3: but the the point in using that would not be so much to convince him that uh, Hinduism is more scientific than Islam, but it could like help him see from your perspective that like, okay, well, you're applying this critical thinking to these Hindu texts that are apparently scientific. I am doing the same thing with these verses in the Quran.
8: It's like, it's not well, it's so much like that... the book of Eric. It's kind of like the book of Eric. Like, like if it has nine things that are true and the 10th thing is false, does that make the entire thing true or something like that? Like,
2: yeah, even if, even if you were able to point to some things in the Quran that were actually backed by science, regardless of, you know, what we were looking at, That wouldn't necessarily say anything about the truth of other claims. We could say, yes, this book accurately describes what a, you know, fetus inside of a sheep looks like or something, right? But but that doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the claims are true. Another thing I do want to make sure I bring up here before we move on is I think a lot of these conversations around, well, there's science in these books, and these books are old, therefore it must have been magically granted by some deity, really belittles and kind of dumbs down the cultures of the time. Now, I'm not saying they were anywhere near as advanced as we are now, but look up something like the the Antikythera mechanism. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I've been reading about it, and it's actually really fascinating it was created sometime between 205 to like 70 bce so like when all of these books were being compiled and written and edited and all of that and it tracks the planets right it, it tracks the planets movements and they just recreated it and it's actually fairly accurate it's really cool i definitely check that out if you're interested but this is a an example of how we actually did know yeah. some stuff back then, right? <laughs> right. We weren't like, I know there's this this phrase like, oh well, like Bronze Age sheep herders created this book, and yeah, oh, fair. <laughs> but at the same time, like there was actual scientific advancement. There were scientists, especially in the um in the Middle East. That was kind of where all of that began happening. So yeah, I think. Combining the understanding that if scientific elements are in a book that does not validate the other claims within that book, and also understanding that yes, there are going to be scientific elements every once in a while. Some of them are going to be coincidence. Some of them are going to be really far off and ridiculous. Yeah. But Empedocles,
3: Empedocles <laughs> yeah. figured out thousands of years ago that air is a thing. Does that mean that we're also made of the four elements: air, fire, water, and
8: earth?
9: Mm-hmm. No, oh, but yeah, he did a make a scientific
8: one. discovery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's good. I right, well, again. I want to thank you guys. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. That's that's all right. No, I want to so thank you guys for your time. Thank you for taking my call and um, uh, for uh, Vice Drino, uh I had called in the other day and I just wanted to say uh, there are four lights. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was you. Appreciate you.
8: Yeah, that was me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Thanks, Cameron. Oh. Uh,
3: that oh, was on the not, line.
2: What was this? This was on that, the that, line?
3: That was on the line. We, we were a bit slow on calls because it was Super Bowl Sunday, and so we, we took one about what my favorite Star Trek episode was.
2: Oh, that, that was one of the top ones. Dang it. That is a good one. That's an intense one. It is, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. Let's talk to CJ in California. They want to talk about micro versus macro evolution. CJ, welcome well, to the show. Hi. Hello. So, what can we help you with today?
0: I just want to
7: I already have some ways to explain to people the differences between micro and macro evolution and how they're basically the same thing. But I just want to hear some things from you guys of how you would maybe talk to a uh, a creationist about that.
2: Yeah. Well, you called the right the right week. Nice to take it away.
3: in general, yeah, they pretty much are the same thing. It's just that one is at the species level or above, and the other is underneath the species level. Um, but there are, if if you get into the technical literature on the subject, there are some differences. Like there, um, there are some instances in our evolutionary history that we're not entirely sure how they happened quite as fast as they did. Um, and this this is something that creationists will like to jump on and. You say like oh well you see you can't figure that one out therefore you know it's micro and macro aren't just the same thing that's magic you believe in magic just like we do or well they won't say just like we do the magic thing but um but yeah so that's that's where um so all, all the mechanisms are basically the same but there is a debate as to whether or not there are more mechanisms that can cause macro evolution to happen faster than we have observed it thus far and those would be things like um I forget the technical word for it but there there's a uh, a process by which an organism can actually um absorb another organism's genome into its genome and essentially like it becomes a fusion of itself and whatever it just absorbed and that can account for some of these pretty big changes that we see in the past now obviously the like with stuff like that we're talking about very small organisms a human is not going to suddenly absorb the genome of a mouse um like this this would be like organisms that are capable of doing horizontal gene transfer um,
6: for the oh, most yeah. part. But, I heard about that, like uh, with um, mitochondria, right?
3: I've yeah, heard. so mito- are, are, uh, the existence of eukaryotes, are, are, well, is it eukaryotes that have mitochondria? Okay. Whatever, the, the organisms with mitochondria in their cell, mitochondria is actually a separate organism. That's not quite the same thing because mitochondria have their own DNA and it's separate from your uh, from the cells' DNA, um, but it is similar. Where mitochondria used to be a different organism, and we just kind of absorbed them and formed a symbiotic relationship with them.
2: Okay, cool, cool. Um, unfortunately, I think we dropped CJ. Um, I think he must oh, no. have hit hit the hit the wrong button on his end. Um, but yeah, uh, essentially, the 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 through line is time, right? If 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 we if we make small changes. We're not going to see it until we see it, <laughs> and then when we see it, we're like, "Oh, that seems like a big change." But if you look closer, it's just been the accumulation of a lot of smaller changes over time.
3: Yeah, but there but there are a couple mechanisms that only operate on the macroevolutionary scale. But the like for the most part, it is all microevolution that just eventually just adds up, and suddenly it's and even like the definition of the word species is not pinned down. It's it's, oh, yeah, a, it's like this. every every paper, <laughs> yeah, every paper that deals with speciation events has to define what they even mean by species, because species is a hard thing to define. Specifically, because evolution happens, organisms mm-hmm. don't fit into these neat little categories that we like to put them in. So we need to figure out what are we talking about when we say species, and how do we know that it has crossed the line of species? So there are different definitions that can be used, and. We've seen speciation events happen with any definition you care to apply. Mm-hmm. Unlike the biblical definition of the word kind, which creationists like to bring up and be like, oh, well, see, kind is uh, kind is a vaguely defined, too, just like species. And they'll try to equivocate the two. It's right. like, kind is poorly defined because you guys need to shift the goalposts because species is poorly defined. So you can't just plunk it down there. Right. Like, like I heard- species is. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm taking this in a in a in a different direction, so yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's this one YouTube video that I watched where someone was like, uh, "Cardassians and Bajorans are the same species because they can interbreed," and was like talking about how like it was interspecies warfare and it was a result of those ancient Bajorans on their their airships going and crash landing in Cardassia. It was interesting to me and just a I,
3: fun. I nerdy- think Star Trek ignores the species barrier.
2: I feel like (laughs) a lot of places. I enjoy watching, though, like these, these like super Star Trek nerds, like beyond what I could ever aspire to be, try and figure out like how specialization works in Star Trek. It's like, mm -mm, just give up. It's not going to (laughs) happen. All right. I'm actually very curious to talk to Mike in Massachusetts because I want to know the same thing that he does. Mike, welcome to the show. How can we help you today? Mike?
3: Hello. I wonder if they put the phone down and
2: possibly all right mike we're going to, gonna to go. return you to the queue hopefully you um you pick up the phone because i really want to talk about that
3: i, I want to talk uh, about that too
2: yeah nick in tennessee i think is also uh pertinent both to the yes. conversations around evolution but also what we were talking about earlier today um nick welcome to the show
10: uh, uh, how's it going
2: it's going well what can we help you with today
10: uh yeah so like it says i just wanted to talk about uh possible changes we we as a community would like to see in the education system, moving forward with the new administration and everything.
2: Yeah. Uh, Where do we start? (laughs) Um, I think FFRF, uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation is doing a really good job of kind of holding that line in the legal sense. And I think that if anybody is interested in helping us get to a place where the public school system takes it more seriously, uh, the separation of church and state, better sex education, uh, better science education, um, one thing we could certainly do is help to fund what FFRF does. So plugging that there. Um, otherwise, I a lot of this tends to feel it feels like a cop-out and it feels like too much to ask in some ways but i think honestly the thing that's going to change is for atheists and skeptics to get into child care and get into the schools and teach and you know you don't have to be out you don't have to be outspoken you don't have to be an activist but if you are somebody who is science-minded and rational, and uh, you appreciate being able to give accurate information to kids, it might be worth checking out whether or not you could actually contribute um, through through your work. Um, so those are, those are two ways that I can see just right off the bat. Make sure you're donating to people who are actually doing the work of enforcing these legal restrictions, and also get involved yourself in whatever way you can. Vice, I'm curious what your thoughts are here
3: yeah uh well, living in Canada, I actually live in a system where our tax dollars can go to pay for Catholic schools as well as uh Oof. public schools we in Canada we don't really have the same separation of church and state that they do in the states um but we also seem to do a better job of it somehow though like i've I've very rarely have I heard of cases in well Ontario at least Alberta is another matter but um very rarely do I hear of cases of uh, where students are being proselytized to in the classroom um, that's not an actual Catholic school, and you know I, I say our tax dollars go to support Catholic schools. you actually get to choose whether you support the Catholic school or the public school when you when you uh, start paying property taxes so it's it could be it could be better, but it also could be worse um, but yeah I, like I definitely would love to see religion just relegated to a religion class where it's not taught as fact, but like in comparison, we like, okay, this is the Christian religion and this is Islam and this is Hinduism and there are lots more. And it's also perfectly valid to not have a religion. Um, I don't know. That's feels like a pie in the sky idea. Sometimes
10: uh, it could be a uh, very interesting like class in uh, history or social studies, for example, yeah. Seems like it would fit into that curriculum flawlessly, you know, but uh, yeah. I guess if you preach it, or if you if you teach it as like historical fact, then it would upset the people that are that believe it as religious. But you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: yeah, one thing that could be done as well, which is kind of an indirect way to go about things. Um, I know for me, I went to school at a Christian college, but uh, in the, at the same time, I was being indoctrinated. I was also being taught how to do research, how to think critically, how to be unbiased because I had a journalism degree. And so what actually ended up happening was the things I was learning in my journalism degree actually impacted how I was receiving the information in the Bible classes and the theology classes and chapels. So one thing we could try to do and trying to push forward is getting critical thinking taught in schools, right? Getting uh, things like Logic 101, that kind of thing involved in schools so that kids are at least at least being uh exposed to this other kind of thinking and being told what constitutes a good argument versus a bad one so you know one option could be just pushing in that direction because it would you'd have to be pretty okay with being painted as a bad person if you're like no I don't want to teach kids how to how to you know think critically you, then you're just showing your hand right, right. <laughs> so that could be an option
10: what uh the- like what, um, I guess, class or category of classes would that fall under? Would it be a science or like a social studies? Uh, the critical, or would it just have to be its own thing?
2: I'm not sure. Um, I'm, to... I'm pretty sure it would, have to de- it would be determined by the individual school system and what their curriculum looked like. But, yeah, Nick, um, honestly, if you want to make the biggest difference right away with the least amount of effort, donation, donation, donation is always the way to go um, to the right people. Right. To the right people, the right organizations that are proven that they are doing this thing. Um, But other than that, also voting, making sure that you are aware of who is running for what in your city, in your uh, state government and also nationally. But honestly, national doesn't make as much of a difference as who is being voted for in your town, in your city, in your state, in your in your county. So making sure that you're aware of that as well um is really every everything that we can ask of any individual and anything beyond that is your decision to take on and champion
10: um i guess my last uh last question would be uh if if we do start to implement uh changes as a as a society in our public school system uh what then happens when parents decide to start homeschooling their kids right like uh my parents already decided that they're pulling out of the school system entirely and homeschooling all theirs. So like does yeah. the, do you think the that government is has a, a uh,
3: I, to intervene? Yeah. I, I used to homeschool my kids, so I have a bit of insight in the homeschooling thing. Um now firstly it's not something that everyone is even capable of doing. So the idea that kids right. would be leaving the schools en masse, I don't I I think that's a bit of an uh bit of an unfounded fear. But um I I would really like to see some regulation going on with regards to what kids are taught in the homeschool. Like if you're being taught at home, then yeah, sure. Your parents have a right to teach you about religion, but they should also be teaching you like the real stuff. And if your religion conflicts with science, sorry, science wins. Like you, you need to figure out a way to fit science into your religion, not the other way around or no. So, yeah, I that backwards.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Watch them clip that and just <laughs> nail you with it. Uh, yeah, Nick, I was, I was raised uh, homeschooled, um, and I was not taught science. I was not taught many things um, that I should have been. Uh, one, one way to make right. sure that even if people are being homeschooled, that you're still getting the, the um, actual – Pennsylvania was actually pretty good about that. Um, they had CAT tests, C A T S, um, that you took every couple of years to, and then sent in to make sure that you were like up to par with other kids in your grade. Uh, you had yearly evaluations with uh, an evaluator who was state authorized to come in and make sure that you were getting what you needed, and you know not in an abusive situation. So. It's, there, there are ways to regulate to make sure that people get more information, but I, I had all of that, and I still was massively undereducated in areas where I needed to be, um, especially in, in areas like science and history. Um, I think we're going to move on to the next call, Nick, but this is an awesome conversation sure. to continue to have, and I want to thank you for bringing it up today.
10: Definitely. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having
2: me. Thanks thank for, you calling. for calling. in. All right, so Mike is back. And I really want to talk to Mike. So stay on the line, Mike. But first, we are going to thank the patrons. And we are also going to thank our anonymous YouTube donor who donated $500 to us during this show and to everyone else who got us up to $666 in donations right now. I am very pleased with that. I like that a lot. All right. But you don't we have are... to stop
3: just because it's had a nice number. <laughs>
2: Right, right. Let's get to 777 just for the irony. Um, All right. So I have refreshed our Patreon page, and our top five patrons are Eric Tweet, Dingleberry Jackson, Desert Heathen, Bethany P., and Marry Me V. (laughs) Well, thank you for the donation and the proposal. Uh, let's see how many, let's see how many weeks you stay at the top of the list and we'll, we'll consider it, Uh, (laughs) but also, uh, shout out to Paul, Leah and Balaam's donkey, of course, as the runners up. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks everybody. Um, it's your donations that keep us running, that keep us being able to reach out to other people, to share, um, our perspective in a world that really doesn't appreciate it very often, um, and to hear from you. So Thanks for everything that you continue to give. Um, we appreciate you. All right, let's talk with Mike. Mike in Massachusetts. Mike, can you hear us now?
9: I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hey, yeah, we got you.
2: You are here. Great. What do, can we help you with today? All
9: right, so I want to talk about philosophy and religion. Now, perfect. To start off with, I greatly respect philosophy as a field, as a discipline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However. When it's used as a justification for the existence of God, um, I, I find myself having difficulty accepting the premise that it feels like a rabbit hole to me. Because yeah. for something that is so supposedly so powerful, so pervasive, uh, so all-encompassing, do we really have to go through a complicated philosophical argument to demonstrate its existence? I, and I, of, I often feel like even to entertain it, to go down that route, is to accept a premise that is, in fact, a rabbit hole. And I'm curious what you guys think of it.
2: I've got lots of feels on this I've one.
9: Whoa, oh, so many. We could do okay, the rest of the show it, on this.
2: Nice.
9: <laughs> um,
3: so it's it's a bit of an obscuring tactic. If you make it hard to figure out, then... It, people can't. People don't know how to say no. I'm not going to say who it was, but there is a Christian YouTube channel, uh, specifically Catholic, that I have responded to a couple times on my, uh, my channel. Um, he put out a video where he... So he started with a video saying, oh, here's absolute proof of God, but he didn't give any proof of God. He just spent the whole thing explaining why... Um, you know, we make rational decisions about almost nothing in our lives. So why would should we make a rational decision about God? Which I thought was a really weird take to have. Um, but then when he 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 put out another video after that, so they were like, oh well, people were expecting me in the video titled "Absolute Proof of God" to actually provide absolute proof of God. I don't know why would they think that. Um, but so then he spent. He he said, okay, in this one, I'm actually going to give you definitive proof that God exists. That is completely irrefutable. Nobody has even come close or whatever. And he spent the 10 minutes of the video leading up to it, explaining why, yeah, I'm going to give you the proof, but most of you are too dumb to figure it out anyway. So, if you think there's a problem with it, it's because you don't understand it. It's not because there's actually a problem with it. So, if you think you found a problem with it, just rest assured that that's not actually a problem. And philosophers have probably found a way to deal with that. And then he flashed it up on the screen for like two seconds. And it was, um, I, you know, again, I didn't understand most of it, but it looked to me like it was a mathematical approximation of the ontological argument, which is like the dumbest argument for God I've ever heard and that's that's what it seemed like to me and judging by how he kind of briefly went over it afterward that that is basically what it was um but it, like it's it's an obscuring tactic if you if you preface your argument with you're too dumb to figure out what's wrong with this argument then when you say there's something wrong with the argument they can just respond oh well clearly you just haven't read all these other philosophers on the matter that have already dealt with your objection
5: mm-hmm. and
3: it's it's infuriating because, like like you said, philosophy is a respectable field. Um, like philosophy of science is incredibly important. But for some reason, religious philosophy just kind of takes a nosedive
9: quality wise. V, you got thoughts yeah, on that? I, I'd, Yeah, V, I'm curious to see, hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious to hear you respond to Vice, though. I like to make sure that you guys get to have a little bit of a back and forth before I jump in. Put my thoughts all over everything. Okay.
9: Yeah, I mean, I just uh, it just it seems like an odd way to demonstrate the existence of a god that we really have to go through, uh, like for instance, syllogisms.
3: Yeah. Yep. And then you, you, if you if you don't understand it, you have to read these five other philosophers. But like the most powerful being in the universe can't just show up and say hi.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It really does throw a lot of doubt into the the idea that the Bible is the only thing that you need in order to become a Christian, especially because most of these people, including people who do this for a living, have have said explicitly, these were not convincing until I became a Christian, and now I like them, right? These are not things that convince people who were not theists to become theists. Most of the way that these philosophical arguments are used in apologetics is to reaffirm that something that people already believe. They build on presuppositions that if you question, suddenly the argument doesn't make as much sense or isn't as compelling anymore. Something like the kalam, right? Like we can assume what that ultimate cause might be. If I was a Christian, I would already have that preconception, so the kalam would feel very convincing to me. As someone who doesn't have that preconception, it's kind of like weak-ass argument. Um, And just wait. I see it, Dean. I see you. I see you watching me. Um, But uh, I I think in addition to all of what Vice said, which is absolutely spot on, I have just as much of a problem with the opposite. And this is something I've seen quite often. And that is, (laughs) hey... um, Christians, and I, I, I can say this because I was this, I know how this works. Christians think they know something when they can recite something, right? Do you know this, this verse? Well, yes, I can recite it. I can, t- you know, off the top of my head. They have entire, uh, like, uh, competitions around how well do you know the Bible by how much of it can you recite And I think a lot of them take the same track with philosophical arguments where they say, oh, I know this argument because I can recite it by rote. But the second you say, "Okay, well, explain to me the difference between necessary and contingent their brains kind of explode and they get mad because they can't, right? A lot of these people are just parroting what they've heard other philosophers tell them, and they don't actually understand it any more than you do. It's just they know that they can pull out a couple big words and stump a bunch of people, but the second that you apply any amount of street epistemology here, the second that you ask for a definition, you will be able to tell who actually is invested in this and who has studied this at all and who is just parroting words because it sounds impressive and it shuts people up more often than not.
3: Even even among those who um, have studied it well, though, like you'll often hear them appeal back to the church fathers like Tertullian and Aquinas and uh, people like that, but I've, um, I've actually just been listening to the audiobook of Bart Ehrman's heaven and hell, where he goes through the history of the afterlife and different people's beliefs in the afterlife. And it, like, if, if you actually read the, like the writings of these church fathers, they had a lot of heretical beliefs, mm-hmm. but we, but for some reason, like it, you'll, you'll never hear them bring up the, the, um, the heretical beliefs they had about the afterlife and, you know, about how like some of them believe that when you die, you're immediately rewarded with heaven. Others believe that, no, you have to wait until this event that's described in the Bible called the resurrection, which is when everybody gets, uh, revived, but like, you you don't hear them talk about that sort of thing. It's always their arguments for a general generic vague God concept. And it's like, okay, well, even if I grant all these arguments, it gets you back to the universe had a cause. And we don't know what that cause is.
2: Exactly. <laughs> or you take somebody like um, William Lane Craig, and he can sound like he has all of the answers philosophically. But the second you pin him on, well, what convinces you? Do these ar- are these arguments what makes you a Christian? He says, no, it's the Holy Spirit within me that makes me a Christian. It's you know, essentially my preconception that God is and that I am right that makes any of this convincing. So even the ones who are lauded as the people who understand this the best, the ones who have gone up against people like Hitchens, right? When you get down to it, it still becomes personal experience. It still becomes, you know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you can't philosophically argue for that in any convincing way. So it really is just obscuring a a conversation that they are clearly not comfortable being honest about.
3: I I don't know if you referenced this earlier, but along those lines, there was a live stream on a Christian channel that was like four hours long, 100 plus arguments for God. And it opened up with the guy making the argument saying, what convinced me that God exists was I asked for a sign and then I saw a meteor.
2: Yes, I saw that. Was that you or Paul? I I
3: did. I did cover that that specific part of that. Yes,
2: I. I, I, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like,
3: yeah, okay, you saw a meteor. Meteors happen. And then he saw a second one.
2: So because like, they don't it, ever have multiple ones at once. Yeah. Uh, Mike, we talked a lot. What are your thoughts?
9: I don't know if you can still hear me. Can you?
2: Yes, yeah. you are still on the line.
9: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think all of your points are really salient. I just, I just, I am very skeptical uh, that philosophy is, in fact, an effective way of demonstrating that God exists. But it does just seem like it does seem like a defensive tactic more. I mean, I think they call it apologetics for a reason.
1: <laughs> yep.
9: And I, I, I just I'm always I'm just always skeptical about going down that road. And then, of course, what happens in a lot of these discussions is there, there are these blasé dismissals. You know, they talk uh, you know, sneering references to evidentialists. And mm-hmm. naturalists. <laughs>
2: scientism. As
9: as as, yes, yeah, scientism is a favorite. As if these are, you know, basically equivalent to being a young Earth creationist. These are tactics, basically, for argument. And I, I don't know. I guess my basic question, just to sum up, is just how legitimate is it to s- dismiss this as a line of reasoning?
2: Yeah, Uh, That is a great kind of sum up question, Mike. I think for me, I'm willing to grant that you can prove that God exists as a concept using philosophy. The modal ontological argument can prove that the concept of God exists. Absolutely. I will (laughs) grant that. If you want to prove that God exists in the real world, you cannot use philosophy to do that. You have to use science. And until you can do that, the the closest we're going to get to agreeing is saying the concept of God exists. Correct, I'm I can grant that. But yeah, apart from that, trying to prove that it exists ontologically in this world as like especially as an active being who is influencing our reality, yeah, philosophy just isn't going to get either.
9: So it feels like a big fail to me in that respect. Because isn't the point isn't the point of these discussions to find out what's true, what's actual?
2: you know you would hope yeah, but, the,
3: but the thing about <laughs> philosophy is that like you can you can find someone arguing for any position it, it's just a question of whether or not the majority of philosophers would agree with that position it's like you can you can find philo- like hardcore philosophers solipsists that mm-hmm. will agree like they'll argue to the death that nothing actually exists outside of their own brain but um like that's that's not the majority opinion
2: yeah if you can come right. to a conclusion about anything on any side of that argument using a tactic that tactic is not a good method for determining truth and i know we talk about faith as one of those but you know, philosophy works too. You can philosophize your way into just about any mindset, which is what makes it so interesting. And it's a great way to talk about how we know things and what we can know and what we can't and how the human brain works. But if you're trying to use something that can prove and disprove the same thing at the same time to prove something exists, you're on the wrong track.
9: Well, thanks guys. I mean, I, I mean I mean, I guess we're all in we're among the same choir here. So <laughs> Uh, it's just, it always feels like a rabbit hole to me and just a, a sort of, to some extent, a bad faith defensive move. Uh, I just sort of feel like, you know, I, I, can demonstrate, I can demonstrate that a phenomenon like gravity exists, this mm-hmm. thing we call air exists, my car exists, my skin exists if you can't demonstrate to me that a God exists on that sort of level, general level of evidence, I, you know, I don't have any use for the argument.
2: Right. Yeah. You don't and that's, to...
9: that's when a lot of
3: people will like default to almost presuppositionalism with like, they'll like, Oh, well you can't actually demonstrate to me that your skin exists. Cause that's, that's a you experience. like it, <laughs> and, and, it, and it can get to be a big mess, but it's like, okay, well, that, like what you said there is like on that level. So it's like, yeah, maybe I can't demonstrate to you empirically that anything outside of your brain or my brain or whatever actually exists, but you can't demonstrate to me that God exists on the same level that you can demonstrate to me that you have a car.
9: Right. And, and also in these conversations, it's almost like, well, the fact that I'm responding to your question and we're having a conversation, doesn't that demonstrate some sort of shared reality? It's the matrix. Nope. It's
3: the matrix. <laughs> you're,
9: you're a construct. No, exactly. There is always an excuse. There is yep. always a way we can always come up with weight. Way- we can always find the words.
2: Absolutely. Thanks but, so much for calling in, Mike. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page here, but I enjoyed this conversation. This is,
9: this I did is fun. I too, yeah. Take care. Bye. You too.
2: Oh my gosh. So I know we're not supposed to call people out in the comments. Or uh, in the live chat, but I did see a comment asking for some reason if God is trans. And my answer to that is hey, well, uh, if God did not have a gender prior to becoming Jesus, and then Jesus had a gender. That would qualify as trans. So yes, God so, is trans.
3: So my thing with that was I, I usually go to um, how, how you define gender or whatever, because often the people that are most vocal about like it's whatever is in between your legs is what your gender is. It's like, OK, well, does God have a penis? And like, yeah. I don't mean Jesus. I mean, God, the father. God, the and father. Like, and if he if he does, what does he use it for? If he doesn't, then why is he a he?
2: <laughs> how did he father anything
3: and, and uh, i actually from from church i remember the the thing was that um it's it's he's got a masculine nature like
2: oh okay oh, that yeah. sounds
3: so mm. that that's progressive right
2: that you know you think you think all right uh we've got two more callers so let's um let's dive in let's talk to matt in georgia matt's been on the line for a while matt welcome to the show how can we help Hi, matt. you
1: today? hey how's it going guys vice rhino big fan i love your videos Oh, thank you.
2: Awesome. What's going on today? I
1: just have, I just have a uh, simple question. Um, my brother is very fundamentalist Christian. He's studying to be a pastor, and uh, my nephew just turned a year old. And I'm just wondering how I could combat questions my nephew may have about me as an atheist that he's receiving from the indoctrination of uh, the church community.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's something that hits very close to home, uh, because most, if not all of my siblings have a similar way of looking at me, right? They're, they are, they know that they love me and I love them and we are connected. We're family. We care about each other, but they are hearing very horrible things about what atheists are, uh, from their churches, from their community groups. And whether that's atheists are evil and deserve to be like hunted down or whether that's atheists are poor lost souls who need our help. It's always it's always wrong. They 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 they're you know 100% going right now. Um, and it, the one thing that I can do uh, because I can't take them out of that community and I can't I, I the well has been poisoned to a certain extent by that community, so even if I were to say well that's not true because In their head, they're thinking either this person's trying to lie to me or this person is lying to themselves and don't know any better. And that's so sad. Poor V, which gets me hot under the collar a little bit. Uh, So, the best thing that I can do is to be myself and to be a good person and to be a humanist and to care about them and to uh, show them you know, showing them that I know more about the Bible than they do doesn't, doesn't hurt. (laughs) So, uh, being, being myself and being outspoken is the most that I can do in that situation. Feist, how about you?
3: Yeah, I'd say I I agree 100% because like you can, you can talk to them all you want about how atheists aren't like they are in church, but ultimately they like talk is, talk is cheap. Um, so if you just walk the walk and be a good person, They, they will see the contrast between, oh, this is, this is this person I know who is an atheist. And this is what I hear about atheists in church doesn't quite match up. And usually I can figure it out for themselves. Like I, I don't have quite as an experience with that as uh, V did, but uh, I have had people that when they find out I'm an atheist, their response is, oh, really you, but you're so nice. Mm
8: -hmm. Like,
1: yeah. What does that have What does that have to do with it? Gotcha. I understand. My question is more how do I the, – the assumption that if I don't change my life, I'm uh, going to be spending the eternity in hell, how do I remove that sense of grief from uh, him being raised in that belief?
2: Yeah, uh, there's only so much you can do about that. Unfortunately, uh, you certainly cannot take that on as something you need to be responsible for. That is an emotion that he is feeling and he is going to have to work through and uh, make a determination himself about what he feels he can he can manage. What I do is um, my, my grandma, for example, sends me very concerned letters quite often talking about how she is upset that I'm not going to be with everybody in heaven. And the way that I push back on that gently is to say, hey, you know, you believe in this God that is just and this God that is love and this God that is merciful. And I think that if I... approach my life from a place of honesty and from a place of integrity and from a place of trying my best with the information that I have and not pretending to believe when I don't and really honestly saying what I think and feel, I think that God will appreciate that. And I think that if you really believe that God is good, God will not punish me for that. And that usually, you know, ends the conversation. Uh, but that really is the most that I I know how to do in this situation is to give them maybe a different way of looking at things. But beyond that, it really it can't be something that you take on for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yep. I understand. And I've uh, I've had to lay down some boundaries with my own grandmother, even because she uh, she insists. She's insisted numerous times when I've called her and talked to her on the phone that she uh, that I pray for her, even though I I have let her know in no uncertain terms that I don't believe in any, in any of that. Um,
7: mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I guess I guess yeah, just um, putting my uh, putting my own beliefs and uh, ideas out there and letting them uh, letting uh, whoever listens to it uh, determine their merits is, I guess, the best way to go about it.
2: Yeah, and what I do when I when someone asks me to pray for them. Uh, I'll say something like, you know, uh, I don't I don't pray, but is there anything else I can do for you? Do you need some money? Do you need me to connect you with anybody? Do you need me to check in with you? So I give viable alternatives that ultimately are going to be more useful and helpful in the long run um, to, to express that I still do want to engage with you. I still care about you. This is still something I want to help with. I just am not going to do that one thing.
1: Gotcha. I understand.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry you're going through that, Matt. I, I empathize wholeheartedly with that kind of sticky situation. But the fact that you're thinking about this, both in terms of what's best for you and what's best for your brother, um, are really, really good signs that you're on the right track. So thank you so much for calling in today.
1: All right, thank you very much.
2: Awesome. Bye. Oh, oh, my gosh. Vice, do you have a do you have? use of religious family, that that's still kind of, kind of giving you the same kind of grief or, or are you one of the lucky ones?
3: My, my mother is a uh, lay worship leader in the United Church of Canada. Okay. And, um, she, I, I haven't actually, I haven't come out to her in the sense that I've used the word atheist, but she knows I don't go to church and I, I have asked her not to take my kids to church and stuff like that. Um, And actually, she she doesn't really know about my YouTube channel. She thinks I edit porn videos and it's easier to let her think that (laughs) than to to tell her that, no, I actually I (laughs) I make videos that say that
9: you're wrong.
2: (laughs) That is amazing. And I love that story. And I'm so glad I asked just now. (laughs) Thank you for gracing my day with that information. You're welcome. Um, And then before we jump to our very last caller, Stuart in the UK, uh, I do want to shout out that we actually met and beat that 777 number. Uh, So you guys are just killing it today. Thank you so much. This This is awesome. I'm impressed. You're all part of the 777 club. All right. Uh, last call of the day. Stuart, welcome to the show. How can we help you?
5: Hello? Hello. Hi.
2: Hello. Can, can you hear, hear
5: me? I, 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 I can hear you. Yep, yeah, we got you.
2: We can hear you. We're good.
5: Oh, good. I, was, I was looking. There's supposed to be a button to press, but I couldn't find it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love that story about the editing pod videos. That's just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the reason I'm calling, it's on the back of the uh, conversation you had about teaching critical thinking in schools. I'm a a psychiatric nurse here in the UK. I was lucky enough to do a post-grad course where we talked about um, using CBT with people with diagnoses like schizophrenia. And One of the techniques that we were taught, which I find incredibly useful, is if you've got someone with a, a, a fixed delusion, before you focus too much on the delusion, you teach the scientific process, Uh, and that is really helpful in getting people then to understand alternative possibilities and actually set up hypotheses and test them, Uh, and very often you can reason people through what otherwise would be that definition of a fixed false belief not amenable to reason. I'm not trying to suggest that all people who are theists are mentally ill by any means That's patently absurd, but I just wondered what you... um, what your reaction to that would be, because I I believe that the American model of mental health is very different from ours.
2: Yeah, um, there are quite a couple of things health-wise, at least in the U.S., uh, that differ, unfortunately, from other countries. Um, The one thing that I would say is that, A, that sounds very interesting. I love that approach. That makes a lot of sense to me in terms of how that would work with theists, that's kind of what we're trying to do here on the show, right? Have a place where they can come and throw their theories out there and, and and get some feedback from somebody who is going to reference things like logic, things like the scientific method. So, absolutely, I think that that can help. I also think that, kind of going back to what we were talking about with, I believe it was Nick, about, you know, getting more critical thinking in schools and more classes around the ideas of arguments and logic and informal and formal fallacies, all of these would very much help kind of stave off people even getting to the point where they would need a show like Talk Heathen, right? Making sure that this is available across the board, even, you know, middle school, high school, I think would do a lot of good.
5: Yeah, I don't doubt that for a moment. When I started my nurse training, I was only 27 at the time, uh, and I was a, a younger creationist, um, within the first year, actually within the first six months of being introduced to the, the way that we think in nursing, um, without ever going near religion, I learned a completely different way of viewing the world. Yeah. Uh, my, my my belief disappeared. I mean, I had the, the couple of years of being frightened of going to hell and all of that, that many people do, and I did go through the angry phase, but, I mean, I'm 55 now and I've never looked back. <laughs> you know, it's just... So I, I love the idea of teaching in schools, but I just thought, that, I mean, I haven't really got a lot to add, except I, I suppose I wanted to, you know, provide some evidence that this stuff works when you teach people how to approach things scientifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really all I wanted to say, it was just to provide some encouragement, I suppose, that, so, you know, we do this even with people with delusions, we do, you know, people diagnosed with schizophrenia and all sorts. So I just wanted to say, yeah, you know, this, this would be wonderful. You know, if you can, if you can make this happen in school, do.
2: And maybe Absolutely. we can get it on there as well. I fully agree, <laughs> so and that's an awesome connection to make, Stuart. Thanks for calling in and sharing that with us.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to well. see like a well. class on metacognition, which right? is thinking about thinking. So it's like thinking about the processes that you have going on inside your head while you're thinking about things, and uh, it just, it just, sure. when when you when you take a step back and try to look at it from that perspective, it, it becomes easier to see where you might be going wrong and where you might be like, okay, did I like, I, I run into this making my videos all the time when there's a new scientific discovery or something that on its face might seem to go against something that I've said in the past. Like my initial reaction is just scroll past that and click on the next one, which is the link that I've used a million times before that agrees with what I was already about to say, mm-hmm. but I, I have to like yeah. catch myself in that and go back and be like, okay, well, if this is new science, I want to make sure that I'm on top of it. And this, this actually did just happen recently with um, the, uh, the decay rates of different radioactive isotopes. Uh, there's, there's a constant debate in science going on as to whether or not these things are actually like universal constants. And the latest yeah. paper I'd always been referencing was a 2018 one, but then one just came out in 2020 that was like, mm, maybe they're not quite as constant as we thought before. So I had to shift my angle for that. So it's it's an important right. skill to have.
2: Absolutely.
5: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's also it's not so hard to teach. I mean, I um, I I, I because I, I train people in mental health as well in mental health care. I quite often teach the basics of uh, You just starting with basic Socratic dialogue, and then the the very very basic, uncomplicated scientific method of hypothesis testing, and and it's not that hard to get people actually to a point where they can do it. No, which is wonderful right
2: it really is it, it it's a tribute to the fact that it works well that you know just a little bit of understanding in this way can start to deconstruct a lot of you know whether that's a delusion that is brought on by a mental health issue or uh, an indoctrination issue <laughs> Um uh, just applying yeah. a little bit of that Socratic reasoning, a little bit of that street epistemology approach, if you will, uh, really does help a lot. Stuart, we're going to wrap up, but thank you so much for jumping on the line with us today.
3: Thanks for calling.
5: You're very welcome.
3: Absolutely. Have a good rest of your having... day.
2: Bye. All right. We are done. We are through our callers. How, how was your how was your first Hoculian experience?
3: Not as confrontational as I was hoping.
2: I know. Everybody was so friendly. I don't know what it is. Every time I'm on with a guest, only atheists call. I think theists are afraid of me. I think that's what that is. Or you. I mean, today, like today would have been their day and they missed out, frankly. So sucks to be them. All right. uh, Before we wrap up uh, and jump over to Discord, I would love to get the crew cam up here so that we can thank all of the wonderful people who are putting this together. There's so many of them and cats.
3: So many of them.
2: There are a lot today. I thought
3: there were. I thought there were like three people behind the scenes at these things.
2: Oh no, this is a whole operation, and the cats make it all possible. Yeah. Thank you guys. We love you. We appreciate you and everything that you do. All right, Vice. Where can people find you if you are? Guys, if this is the first time you're interacting with Vice and you're you're curious about what else he does, apart from edit pornos, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you online?
3: Um, on Twitter, I'm at Vice Rhino on Facebook. I'm not. I have a uh, <laughs> I have a web. I do have a Facebook page, but I never log into it. Um, yeah, they've got my Linktree link up there. It's uh link d- linktree tr.ee slash Vice Rhino. It's got all my important links on it
2: perfect and you are one of the one of the few and i'm, I'm i apologize to everybody else out here you and apologia are the two people who put out videos often enough that you keep me engaged week to week like guys like if you if you sign up you get new stuff like new stuff every week like it's it's impressive it puts out quite a lot of content and it's it's all good all right you guys um we are going to wrap up but first let's throw up some love rings I always forget which, because we're mirrored here. All right. Ready? Three, two, oh,
3: wait, wait, one. Wait, 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 what are
2: we? Wait, oh, yep. uh, perfect. Okay. Three, two, one. Toward the camera. Up.
3: Oh, toward the camera.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: my first time. <laughs>
2: That's okay. I'll be gentle. Um, All right. So regardless of whether or not you are an atheist or a Christian or anything else, if you are an essential worker right now, if you are a first responder, if you are part of this push to get vaccines to people, uh, we appreciate you and everything that you are doing. Keep on doing that. And everybody else, let's make sure we're making their jobs and their lives a little bit easier by masking up, by remaining socially distanced as long as we need to until we get this, the, uh, the Fauci ouchie and, uh, make sure that we are only propagating accurate information around things like COVID and 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 the vaccine.
3: Remember the the best vaccine to get is the first one that you, that comes available for you.
2: Absolutely. So don't, don't be picky. Don't be picky because they, they throw out vaccines that people don't use and that's not good. So just. Go get go get your prick, guys. Um, All right. Uh, For those of you who don't believe, uh, which is most of you today, callers, uh, thank you for being a part of this community. We really need help. We really need your voices to make sure that our loved ones, our friends, the other people who are pushing to get you guys the rights that you deserve, feel Supported, feel safe, and feel like you have their back. So, once again, if you are interested in helping out our friend Owen and his daughter Kylie, please, please go to Telltale Atheist and donate. Pitch a, pitch a couple bucks in in that direction. I know it'll be appreciated. Um, and for those of you who do believe, and Vice, I know this is your first time, so we're gonna pause for a second. I'm gonna update you on what we do now. So say for those of you who do believe we don't hate you we just think you're wrong in unison okay Okay. all right three two one we don't hate you don't hate
3: you we We just think think you're you're
2: wrong. wrong see you next week everybody